Please turn with me again to the book of Acts, chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. We're taking as our text those words of verse 9. Acts 7 and verse 9. About the patriarchs, they were moved with envy. They sold Joseph into Egypt. But this little phrase we've been looking at, but God was with him. The patriarchs moved with envy, sold Joseph into Egypt, but God was with him. We thought this morning for a little while about how God was with him in his trials and in his troubles. And if you've been in the pit where Joseph was, you'll appreciate the great solemn truth that is reiterated here in the scriptures of truth. In every condition that God is with us, he's with his people in trial, in trouble, in their tears. But we're going to move on this evening and we're going to consider, secondly, how he's with us as we face temptation. We thought of Joseph this morning, sold as a slave, the one who was the son, the the one who had accountability over the other stepsons and slave sons. Now he became a slave in Egypt. And he was sold into the household of Potiphar. And there God was with him. And there God showed him mercy and God showed him grace. And God gave him great favour. And the Bible tells us that God blessed the house of Potiphar because of Joseph. It's a great thing when God blesses a firm or a company or a shop or a building site or an office whatever it is, because a Christian works in it. And that's what happened here in the book of Genesis in the household of Potiphar. But sometimes we say, can things get worse? And it's oftentimes that they do get worse. Though Joseph prospered in the household of Potiphar, the devil attacked his prosperity. And his success, of course, caught the attention of others. If you just go back there to chapter 39, there's a little phrase here that oftentimes we miss out. Chapter 39, verse 5 and 6, it tells us here, it came to pass from time to time that he had made him overseer in his house and all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. Now, when God blesses, the devil will attack. And we see this very evident here. We read that he'd left all that he had in Joseph's hand and he knew not aught that he had save the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person and well favoured. That little phrase in our authorised version, a goodly person, well favoured, it just literally means he was a handsome young man. And this handsome young man caught the attention of a scheming older woman. There's a lesson there for every young Christian. We read in verse 7 of the same chapter, it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph and she said, lie with me. And she tried to ensnare him and entangled him. But he refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my mistress, what is not uh, what is with me in the house? 
and he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There's none greater in this house than I, neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Now there's a timeline here I think it's important to notice. In Genesis 41:46, we learn that Joseph was just a young man at this particular time. When he was brought before Pharaoh, he was 30. When he went down into Egypt, he was 17. He spent some 13 years in Pharaoh's house and in prison before he came into the presence of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. So we know that Joseph was in prison for at least two years because chapter 40 tells us about the servant of the king whose dreams he interpreted. And so the first verse of chapter 41 tells us that the two years had had passed away after that event before the king had called him and the dreams that he'd called to interpret. So we estimate that Joseph had spent approximately 11 plus years working for Potiphar. So he was roughly in his late 20s before he was accused and wrongly imprisoned. I I think Potiphar saw through his wife, but for faith's sake, uh, Joseph had to be punished. And he was put, we'll we'll say, in the softer part of the prison. He wasn't put in the ordinary common part of the prison. He was put in the prison where the king's prisoners uh, were kept. As a young man, he had every opportunity here to indulge the flesh. But he resisted. And he refrained himself. And it's interesting to see how he resisted this fight that he put up. He said he didn't want to betray his master's trust. It's a wonderful thing when an employee trusts the employer. And when the employer trusts implicitly the employee. When a father trusts his son. When a mother trusts her daughter. And so forth and so on. And he didn't want to betray his master's trust. That was a check against sinning. It says also she, he knew that what she suggested to him was great wickedness. Now today sexual immorality is just called fun and frivolity. And, and uh, it's just, well everybody indulges in this activity and everybody indulges in the flesh so I can also. But not Joseph. Joseph saw it as great wickedness before Almighty God. And we, we, we read that primarily he did not want to sin against God. He could have indulged the flesh and perhaps no one ever would have known about it, but God would have known about it. His sin was against God. Potiphar's wife, of course, there, there's no, it says there's no rage, there's no anger like a woman who has been refused in such a situation. And when she couldn't get her way, the, the Bible tells us that she called for the other servants and she accused this young man of rape. She held on to his garment. Though Joseph had fled, she held on to his garment and in the eyes of the law of that day, that was enough proof to put this young man in prison. I think there's no better example 
in, in dealing with temptation than we have here from Joseph, whether it's for young or for old. Some of the greatest moral collapses, men and women, have not been with young people, have been with older people. You remember that. Some of the greatest moral collapses have been with the older generation, not with the younger generation. He morally fought off all her attempts to, to induce him into sin. And when that failed, he fled from the sin. He physically fled from the sin. So this is called the correct method to face temptation. You fight it, and when you can no longer fight it, you flee from it. You fight it, or you flee from it. Because God always provides the way of escape. You need to know where the exit sign is. When you're going into a place that you've never been before, make sure you just don't know the way in. Make sure you know the way out. And that's what happened young Joseph. He took the exit route. God was with him and he was unable to overcome. Yes, he was unjustly punished, but God continued to overrule even the punishment. Why? Because as we'll see, God placed him beside Pharaoh's prisoners and because he was placed beside Pharaoh's prisoners, that was going to be the conduit that would bring him right into the very palace of Pharaoh himself. We need to realize, I think as never before, that right is not always rewarded by the world. You know, right is not always rewarded by the world. If you do what is right, don't expect the world to clap you on the back and say, that's great. It's great you're a moral young man, young woman. It's great that you didn't steal from your employer either time or money or goods. It's great that you didn't know the world. Many in the world have said to you, you were a fool not for taking your opportunity. Regardless of the consequences, we often sing <coughs> that hymn. Some will hate thee, some will love thee. Some will flatter, some will slight. Cease from man and look above thee. Trust in God and do the right. Courage, brother, do not stumble. Trust in God and do the right. Here was a young man. He didn't get any reward in the world for, from it. But God was using even the treatment that he got from the world to advance his own cause. God was with him. God was with him in temptation. We think, how could God be with us in temptation? But if we look at the life of Joseph, we have to say categorically, yes, he was there. And God even used it to advance his cause and protect the messianic line. I want to suggest to you thirdly that God was with Joseph in his triumphs. Oftentimes, we, we think all negatively. But God was also with him when he triumphed, his, his triumph of faith. And it's very evident how the Lord was with him in the triumph of faith. Here was a young man and he shared with his brother the divine revelations that God had given to him. I think one of the greatest proofs that God was with Joseph was that he brought the word to him. In those days, of course, we didn't have a script or a, or a scroll or a book as we have today. So God spoke through dreams and extra revelatory revelations. God spoke through all of those ways and through all of those means. And God spoke in his word via these dreams to Joseph and through Joseph to others. 
And sometimes we say, how do we know God's with us? Things aren't going the way they ought to be going. But is God not bringing his word to you? Is God not bringing his truth to you? Is God not blessing your life with his truth? Well then you can't say that God's not with you. If God is bringing the word of God to you, you can say, even facing temptation and trial, God is with me. God is with me. I am sure the brothers, when they heard Joseph's dreams, that they felt he was delusional. But God brought them to pass. He foresaw that one day God was going to exalt him to a position of prominence. And the brothers laughed at it. You, you, that we're going to bow down to you. Even his mother and father eh, showed a, a great degree of incredulity and animosity. Are we going to bow down to you, Joseph? Is that what you're really telling us? But God had revealed it to Joseph and Joseph believed it. And though it didn't come to pass immediately, Joseph trusted in the word that the Lord had given to him. You know, God has given us all these wonderful promises and sometimes we think it's like pressing buttons on the dashboard. It's just going to happen overnight. But it doesn't happen like that. God delivered him, but it wasn't instantaneous deliverance. When Joseph stood before Pharaoh being brought out of the prison to interpret Pharaoh's dreams, which troubled him so much, what did Joseph say before Pharaoh? Here was a slave brought out of the prison. He's before the, the, the greatest world monarch and power of his day. And how does Joseph address the situation? He answered Pharaoh, Genesis 41, 16. He said, it is not in me. It is not me. God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. I think that's wonderful. The dream of Pharaoh was one. God has showed Pharaoh what he is about to do. Only God can do it. That's what the Lord was saying through Joseph to Pharaoh. He was seeking to glorify God. In Egypt, Joseph was very careful to glorify God. Because we see that even in the names that he gives to his children. So Pharaoh gave to him his daughter. And of course he was married and God blessed his marriage. He had two sons and he named one Manasseh and he named one Ephraim. The name Manasseh means that God hath made me to forget all my toil and my father's house. It's wonderful that you can forget. You know that whole passage that we read in Genesis chapter 45. It proves beyond doubt that Joseph was able to move on. From where his brothers betrayed him and sold him into Egypt. He was able to move on. God had made him to forget his toil. Ephraim, it means God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. So if you put these two names together, it reveals the thinking of Joseph at this time. Well, he wasn't bitter. He wasn't a bitter individual. There are many people and they've been wronged either by their family or by some other individual. And they are as bitter as gold. And they're better at everyone and, and they're better at life and they're better at the church and they're, they're even better at God. But this shows to me, no, no, Joseph was not better. God has, made, God has made me to forget. And God has made me to be fruitful. And that was why in this wonderful chapter that we've read, Joseph was able to forgive. 
And maybe there's something in your life tonight and you can't move on from it. Because you're still dwelling on it. You're dwelling on it. I, I said to you tonight, forget it. Put it in the past and move on from it. And God will enable you to be fruitful. God in providence, he overruled the ill intent of his brothers. And we need to move on. We do need to move on from past hurts and past bitterness. You cannot carry the hurts and the bitterness of the past into the future with you. Because if you do that, you'll never be fruitful. God can enable you to triumph. Fast forward the timeline to when Jacob had to send his sons into Egypt to buy corn. <clears throat> Little did they know that they were going to come before Joseph, the very brother that they had sold because of envy, down into Egypt. And we think now, according to the timeline, if you go back there with me to chapter 42, chapter 42, verse 6, that Joseph probably now was in his late 30s. So from a lad of 17 to his late 30s, those other brothers had never saw Joseph before. They just assumed that he was dead. They had told the lie to their father Jacob so often that he was dead. They perhaps believed it themselves. He was dead. But now they're confronted with him. And we read in Genesis chapter 42 verse 6, Joseph was the governor over, over the land and he it was that sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brethren came and bowed down themselves before him with their faces to the earth. We read in verse 8, Joseph knew his brethren, but they knew not him. They didn't expect to meet him. All those years later, some maybe 20 years later, they didn't expect to meet him. He was dressed like an Egyptian. He had the attire, that he had the frontage. Of an Egyptian, they didn't expect to meet him whatsoever and they didn't know him. Now we know the corn they took on their first visit didn't last very long. And they had to come back again. Even though they were reluctant to come back, they had to come back again. That was the only way they were going to survive. So seven years of plenty had passed. Now they were into two years of famine. So time is moving on. And we read in chapter 45... Uh, verse 5 to 8, this wonderful reconciliation, this wonderful reunion that Joseph had with his brethren. And you know, brethren and sisters, I think there never be a blessing in the church of Jesus Christ and in our lives personally and individually until we get over the hurts of the past, until we learn to forgive, until we show grace and until we're reconciled. And Joseph says to his brethren, he says, come near to me, I pray you. And he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom ye sold into Egypt. Now therefore be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that ye sold me hither. For God did send me before you to preserve life. For these two years hath the famine been in the land. And yet there are five years in which there shall be neither earing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Now we're reading in uh, Stephen's Holy Ghost summary of Joseph's life 
in Acts chapter 7, 9 and 10, that the Lord was was with him and delivered him. Not only did he deliver him, but by delivering Joseph, he delivered the whole family. God's interested in the whole family. After the death of his father Jacob, he reflected upon this whole moment. Oh, what a profound truth is taught here. We shared that verse with you this morning. He looked at those brethren and now his father's dead and he's a mature man. He's somewhere in his his 40s and he's he's had a whole experience of life that he never would have had if he'd stayed in his homeland. And he said, as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. God was with him. From a sudden disappearance to his reappearance, some 20 plus years had elapsed, but God was with him. In that time, we know the word of God came to him. Psalm 105 that we read from this morning tells us, until the time that his word came, the word of the Lord tried him. God had given him the promise, Joseph, I'm going to deliver you, I'm going to, I'm going to be with you. But Lord, I'm in prison, I'm in the pit, I, 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 I'm languishing here as a slave in someone's house. How is the Lord with me? The word of the Lord tried him. And maybe you're holding on to some promise for some loved one. And you're holding on to it. And the word of the Lord is trying you. But I'm saying to you tonight, don't let go of it. Don't let go of that word. John Calvin, I read what he said on this. He said, God useth oftentimes to be present with his in such sort that he lieth hid for a time. He's hid for a time. Joseph had to wait over two decades For his deliverance, for his reconciliation with his brethren, and for his reunion with his fathers. And sometimes we have to wait for deliverance, but never let go of the word of God. How do we know the Lord's with us? Don't let go of the word that God has sent to you. Verse 10 tells us the unusual means that God used for his deliverance. He gave him favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh. Now, There's something significant about that. Because God uses means. God uses means. And it was God who caused him, uh, through the wisdom that he endowed him with him, through the favor that he gave him in the sight of Pharaoh, to bring deliverance, not only for all of Egypt, but for all of the promised chosen seed. I love those wee verses in Proverbs chapter 18, 16. It tells us, a man's gift maketh room for him and bringeth him before great men. God was with Joseph and God used his personal gifts for his glory and his collective good. And God likewise is with us with the gifts that he's given to us. And when you use those gifts, put them at the feet of Jesus. When you use those gifts, God will use them to bring his deliverance. But could we close by saying a little bit to you tonight? Uh, God was with Joseph because he left a good testimony for Christ. How do we know God was with Joseph? Well, he was a good example. He left a good testimony for Christ. Every one of us, we carry a testimony. The world is looking at you this week. And the world is looking at me. And the world sees something in our lives but doesn't see Jesus. 
Joseph in his life is a wonderful type and example because of his likeness to the Lord Jesus Christ. He so corresponded to the Messiah that he's one of the earliest types in the New Testament scriptures. Now we can't cover his life just uh, in the closing point of a sermon but let's think of him at least down there in Egypt. In Egypt he became a servant, a mere slave in the household of Potiphar. And the Lord Jesus sent by his father from heaven into this world. What did he become? He became the servant Messiah. We sang this morning from Psalm 40. And that metrical version. It says then to the Lord these were my words. I come behold and see. Within the volume of the book it is written of me. This is the picture of the servant from Exodus 21. The servant with the ears that were <coughs> that were, that were uh, pierced. Many people like to have their ears pierced. Even some of the men like to have their ears pierced. And put earrings in. But it was a sign of a slave in years gone by. This is exactly what happened here. The Lord Jesus he came. He said I come. And he came into this world as a servant. In Egypt. Just like Christ Joseph went about doing good. I think it's wonderful. It's one of the most encompassing descriptors of the descriptions of the Saviour in the New Testament. He went about doing good. Think of the good that Joseph did. He kept the, the household of Potiphar flourishing. He kept the prison house flourishing. When he was put into the palace of Pharaoh, he not only kept Pharaoh's house rich and prosperous, Pharaoh eventually owned all of Egypt because of the financial acumen and a sense that, that Joseph had. God gave him wisdom. And he knew how to handle money. And he knew how to handle people. And he knew how to handle all the rich reserves that God had bestowed upon the land. He went about doing good. And the Lord's people, let me tell you, if we're to be in the same likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ and leave a good testimony for Christ, let's emulate that. Let's emulate some good this week. You seek somebody out this week that you can do good to. Not that you'll be repaid for it, but you seek somebody out this week that you can do good to in the name of the Lord. In Egypt, Joseph faced trial and temptation. The, Lord, the life of the Lord Jesus Christ was just one long trial. He was tried by his brethren. His very family didn't believe who he was. They thought he was a madman. He was uh, tried by his brethren, those apostles that he chose. Some of them even said <coughs> to him that they didn't believe he should go to the cross. Peter, others denied him. They all ran away from him. His whole life was a series of tests. He came face to face with the devil when, when he was tried and tempted in the wilderness. We think even of the closing moments of his life in that farce of a trial that he had to undergo when he faced Pontius Pilate. The devil and the powers of darkness arrayed themselves against him at every turn. Joseph was like the saviour. And you and I, because we're Christians, we're not exempted from trials, men and women. We're not exempted from trials and testings in this world. What's the consolation? God is with us. God is with us.
in Egypt, representing the world, our Savior, like Joseph, was condemned. Joseph was condemned as an innocent man. Jesus was condemned as an innocent man. Pilate said repeatedly, I find no fault in him. He couldn't find any flaw in him. Though he had tried many, many cases, he tried the case of Jesus and he couldn't find any fault in him. I find no fault in him, but you have to die. He died as an innocent man. We read in Hebrews 7, 26, about our high priest, that he's holy and he's harmless and he's undefiled and he's separate from sinners and he's higher than the heavens. Joseph, like the Saviour, was cast into prison. The judge at the Saviour's trial repeatedly, repeatedly said he's innocent but condemned him. And we read in Isaiah 53, he was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. From prison to crucifixion. In death, the Lord Jesus hung between two felons. And in prison, Joseph was between two felons, the butler and the baker. Those were his inmates. To the baker, he declared that within three days he would be dead. To the chief butler, he rightly declared that within three days, Genesis 40, verse 9 to 13, he would be restored to his position in Pharaoh's household once again. Joseph in the middle was to one a savour of life, to the other a savour of death. On that cross of Calvary, we have on one side the unrepentant thief. On the other side, we have the repentant thief. Jesus in the middle of them. And let me say again to you in the service this evening, Jesus is either a savour of life or a savour of death unto your heart and life. He's either life or death. Paul took this thought and he applied it to the gospel and he said to the one were a savour of death unto death to the other a savour of life unto life. That's the message of the gospel. Every time it's proclaimed and on along, every time you hear it, it's either unto life or unto death. It's either to your salvation or to your further and greater damnation. It's an awful thing to think that coming to a gospel meeting could be to your greater damnation. But the gospel's either a savour of life unto life or a savour of death unto death. Joseph asked the butler to remember him. But he forgot him. He had done him so much good. He had answered his questions. He had declared that he would be taken out of prison and lifted up again and restored to his rightful position. He was going to be exalted. His word was coming true. And all Joseph said to him, mention me to Pharaoh, get me out of this place. But he forgot him. I think of the many people who come and attend on to the gospel, the many people across Ulster tonight who will hear words whereby they might be saved. They'll hear about a saviour who can save from the guttermost to the uttermost one who's willing to save all those that will come on to God by him. 
and they'll go out through the doors and they'll forget what they hear. They did so with Joseph. They did so with Christ. And you know something? They're doing the same and on alone tonight. They're forgetting him. I love this verse. The Lord has written it on my heart in Acts 7 and verse 9. Stephen took it to death with him. What was the truth he took to death with him? As the Lord was with Joseph, the Lord was with him. And I want to ask you, what are you taking with you out into the week that lies ahead? We thought of that great verse, the Emmanuel Principle, in Matthew one twenty three this morning about Emmanuel, the Lord Jesus Christ who was to come, which being interpreted is God with us. Is God with you tonight? If you're to face death tonight, is God with you? If the Lord Jesus is not your saviour, you've forgotten him, you've rejected him. But in grace and mercy, he's given you another opportunity to, to accept him and to receive him and to come and trust him. A greater than Joseph is here. Jesus is here. Our heavenly Joseph. And he invites you tonight to trust him. Let's unite our hearts in prayer, please, as we close our service.